Hello, all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and wow, I've got somebody you are going to love today, Shelly Paxton. She is simply amazing. And here's a little bit of her bio. As she says, think Renee Brown meets Biker Babe with a dash of Liz Gilbert. And when you hear her, it's exactly that. As former chief marketing officer of Harley Davidson, Shelly Paxton found herself at the top of the proverbial mountain, feeling success empty instead of successful. She's very cute with words, you'll see. That awaiting, awakening led her on a profound soulbatical journey that became her mission, business, and best-selling book, Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life. She's leading the revolution, she's really funny, to write the script of success and liberate a billion souls. So if you're a potential one of those billion souls, you have to listen to this. She's wonderful. Just the excitement in her voice is enough to make you realize there is such a life after being successful somewhere else. And how to be successful on your own is really scary. If you've worked for big, fancy, dancy brands and worked around the world like she has, you think you are that brand and that you can't be anything else. And that is so not true. So I am going to say nothing else and let you meet the wonderful Shelly Paxton. Welcome, Shelly. I'm so glad that you were able to be on the podcast. Hooray. Oh, Leslie, thank you. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'm so psyched. I love your background. I love the whole idea that you walked away at the top. Uh, you were chief marketing officer of Harley Davidson, and you said you felt empty. So Let's talk talk a little bit about how you got there because so many of us, you know, struggle so hard to get there at the top of the mountain and then oh my god, it's not what we thought. Where did you grow up and what the heck were you thinking about Harley Davidson? Was that in your family? No, it's so funny that my career the peak of my career landed in Harley Davidson world because I did not grow up in a family that rode motorcycles. I did not grow up in a family with tattoos. I did not grow up in a progressive rebel family. <laughs> so to answer your question, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was born in Ohio. So I, I would, you know, I consider myself sort of born and raised as a Midwestern girl who was always longing for something different, who was always kind of looking for her her home and her people. And to be honest, I think that's what fueled a lot of my career was this desire to see the rest of the world and be introduced to new cultures and kind of figure out who I am in the process. And so I was fortunate to have this incredible career in the advertising and marketing space that book me around the world and ultimately landed me at Harley-Davidson about 20 years into my career. And what was the what was the kind of stuff that you were doing in marketing? What specifically, so people can relate? Yeah, so specifically, I spent the majority of my career on the advertising side of the business. So I worked for 
different agencies from DDB, a number of different advertising and media agencies under the Omnicom banner. So if anybody ah. knows the Omnicom world. We do, we um, do, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so DDB, OMD, Omnicom Media Group. Then I had the good fortune, that took me overseas. So I lived for four years in Istanbul, Turkey, Wow. working. Yeah. I worked on some of the most incredible brands. McDonald's is really what the, the first brand that took me international and then ultimately global. Um, I had the good fortune to work over there and, and run the McDonald's account in Southern Europe, North, South, North, South Africa, Middle East, and India. Holy moly. Wow. Right. Incredible. And so that was sort of my passport to the world. And that started to fuel my dreams of, you know, just understanding cultures and meeting different people and, and kind of getting glimpses of who I really am. And so, yeah. And then ultimately uh, I went to AOL. So back in the day when AOL oh was a my thing. God. <laughs> I remember I when we did a big deal with AOL and, uh, when I was running one of my magazines, I think it was Mary Claire. And we thought we were on top of the world. We were so ahead of the curve. We were doing right? some kind of, yeah, like social when social wasn't social, it was just something else. I don't remember. Yeah. But, and Leslie, I feel like our paths must have crossed at some point in those, in those days because I was fearing dating myself. But yeah, it's that and that was incredible because that sort of pulled me into the digital space. And then ultimately I got into the, you know, came back into the media space and then was recruited to go to Harley Davidson uh, right after my 40th birthday. So it felt like a big milestone. Wow. I, I had just gotten divorced, which I'm guessing a lot of listeners yes. can relate to. Yes, that happens. Yep. Yeah, I had just gotten divorced. I was trying to find kind of my mojo and my badassery again, if I can say that. <laughs> oh, you can. And you, can you can curse away on this on okay. this podcast. It's not for children. <laughs> awesome. I love it. And so yeah, I was like, wait, I want to find I want to find the badass again that I know that I am. And then Harley came calling to help, you know, asked me to come help them set up a global marketing organization. Wow. So I was like, wow, if, if there isn't a calling to reclaim my rebel and yes. find my mojo. So that's really what Harley became for me. And obviously huge honor as well to have been part of stewarding that iconic global brand. How long did you do that for? I was there for six and a half years. I left, wow. uh, funny enough, right as we're talking, I left about six and a half years ago. And wow. I was there for, um, yeah, six and a half years, kind of, you know, helping to put together that global marketing organization and then ultimately becoming chief marketing officer. And that's kind of when the, you know, the gut punch hit that you said, where I realized like, is this all there is? Like I work for this incredible brand that people tattoo on their body. Right, it's right, this right. Universal symbol of freedom and rebellion. And how on earth can I be sitting here? I mean, I felt really, I felt guilty about it, if I'm honest. And and I right. want to acknowledge that because I know that so many of us, when we're feeling this calling or this gnawing sense, like we feel guilty because we yes. have so much privilege and so much good fortune and my story was 
the same. And, and ultimately, I was having this nightmare that woke me up to the fact that, yes, I have checked all the boxes of traditional success. I have climbed this mountain. I work for this incredibly prestigious brand and ride motorcycles around the world. And at the same time, I have lost touch with my own soul and felt really called to reconnect with my truth. So how did that attack you? Was that like you woke up one morning or was it a long simmering thing that happened over a couple of years or because that's a I, I want people to identify with that kind of awakening because they may be in the middle of it and not realize yeah. that they know something's up, but they don't know what they they they're you know, everybody in every job goes through these times where it's like, oh my God, it's so boring. You could stir it with the pot with your eyes closed, right? Right, right, exactly. Those, I learned, those phases are not necessarily times when you should be moving. They are just, there's a cycle in all jobs when whatever you do, you get to the next level and then it's stir the pot time, right? So how do you know, how do you know when it's really something big or it's just stir the pot time? Well, why don't I, I'll tell a little bit more of my story because it truly was a wake up call. And I think there are, you know, I call them the the cosmic kick in the ass that we get, right? So, so for some people, I'm sure it came with the global pandemic that we are hopefully out of. Uh, For some people, it comes with an illness or a tragedy in their life. Um, I had flavors of a lot of that. Obviously, this happened for me before COVID came to town. Um, But for me, it was I was literally woken up in the middle of the night by a nightmare almost every night of my final year at Harley. Wow. So when I say I got a wake up call, I got a wake up call. Yeah, I was like, you said, did you wake up one morning? And I was sitting here kind of smirking going, well, no, but I did wake up every, almost every single night drenched in sweat and tears. Oh, and, my. and I was seeing what I ultimately realized was a proxy for my soul. So I was, I'll tell you a little bit of the story. I was having a nightmare that I was being kind of pulled through a place that looked a bit like my the apartment I was living in at the time. And but there were these strange hallways and these strange rooms and I kept being pulled deeper and deeper and darker and darker into the space until I was presented with this closet that had the light on and I was like this invisible force like forced me to rip open this closet and I find my dog who had passed away six years prior asleep like on the floor whimpering malnourished skeletal near death And I'm like picking him up thinking, oh my God, my dog's been alive this whole time. What a monster I am that I wasn't taking care of him. I wasn't loving or listening or nourishing him. And then I wake up. And your soul was the dog. And ultimately my dog, my dear Mocha was a proxy for my soul. Wow. And it took me a while. Goosebumps. I I just got goosebumps. Oh, Leslie. I mean, I... I say that like, oh, it's so obvious. And it was obvious to you and in, the, in, in it. And so this goes back to the question you were asking, like anybody who's in this in the moment and you feel that gnawing sense, it might not make sense to you in the moment. So my suggestion, and this is what I did with the nightmare, I did not understand it when I started seeing it. I didn't understand it 
for the first few months that I was having it, I finally went to a doctor and said, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm not sleeping. I'm being woken up by this. I, I fear that my mental health is really suffering and now my physical health is suffering. So help me. And I got into meditation and whether meditation is your jam or not, what I would invite anybody to do who's like, has that gnawing sense and is hearing that whispering little voice in some way, whether it's through a dream or a nightmare or just that, that niggle that you can't shake, get quiet, listen, because that whisper ultimately becomes a shout, which ultimately becomes the two by four that whacks you across the head. And that's what it was for me. And I realized that even though I had this dream job and I had this dream life in many respects, it wasn't my dream. It was my dad's dream. And so that really woke me up. Your dad's dream. Oh, how interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I essentially and followed my dad's career. And so ah. I say I say this often. So yeah, that's what I mean when I say my dad's dream. What I'm saying is, well, I, I have zero regrets. I had 26 incredible years in the corporate world. And my mission and my message, by the way, is not leave your corporate job. It's more about find yourself and reconnect and build from that place or create your life and more of what you want in your life from that place. I realized my dad was this incredibly successful uh, business executive. He started in marketing. He climbed the ranks. He was CEO and chairman of a lot of companies that you would recognize. And, and he was really like, do this thing, do this thing. And so, I, and I found a way to, you know, get a ticket around the world and work for these incredible brands. So it served me well until it didn't. And that's okay. That's now, did you do a lot of psychotherapy to figure this out? Because that's very insightful to understand that that's coming from your dad. And um, coming from somebody myself, I've done 25 years of psychotherapy. So it, I really believe in it. But how did you, how did you figure all that out? Yeah, uh, well, listen, it's an ongoing journey. So here we are six and a half years later, looking through the rear view mirror, and I've done a lot of work. <laughs> ah, so, good. I think, yeah, yeah I, I, I yeah, think people I need say, to know that, that sometimes you have to do your work. For sure. And I want to say, I agree with you. I have done, co I've had a co. I've had many coaches over the years. I've had therapy over, I've done therapy over the years. I've done meditation. I have learned how to slow down and really reconnect with my inner voice. So I spend yes. more time checking in than looking mm. externally for the answers. But that right. has only come over the years of doing the work. And honestly, when I left Harley and I called it my sabbatical, which as you know, yes. is the, the title of my book, I really, I, I created that word because I had no way of explaining to people why I was leaving what looked like a dream right. job and a dream right. career. Right. And I didn't know where it was going to take me. Right. So talk about your book and talk about what you do now. Yeah. So so the book is the story. I call the book part part memoir because I share my story of that wake up call, where it led me, the journey that I went on that I called my sabbatical, which was in essence me reconnecting with myself, right? And I eventually realized that sabbatical is 
It's not leaving your job. It's finding yourself, like I mentioned, but it's also a conscious choice to live and lead with greater authenticity and courage and purpose, right? So you are living in alignment with your soul and creating that life. I didn't know that when I left. And so the book takes you on a journey. It's part memoir, part manifesto, part interactive guide. So as I'm taking you on the wild ride of my story, I'm also wanting to start a movement of more of us who are rewriting our script of success, whatever that looks like. When we're connecting with our souls, what do we start to rebel for in my language? And part interactive guide is because I was doing so much work in this journey and continue to do the work because I don't believe that there's a destination, I'm offering up a lot of the same questions that I was asking myself or that coaches and therapists were asking me along the way so that if you want to, you can start to do the work as a part of reading this book and turn the mirror, you know, reflect on your own life and, you know, what's lighting you up and what's not lighting you up. Um, that's so great. that's a bit, right. So that's a bit yeah. about the book. I wanted to share my story. It truly is a wild ride. It's super vulnerable. It is me putting my heart and soul out into the world. And the biggest compliment that I continually get from people who have read the book is, you know, thank you for putting your arm around me. Thank you for telling yes. such an honest, unpolished, unvarnished story. Yes. Because I'm a big believer, more of us telling our stories, like we start to normalize that this kind of generation's old societal definition of success isn't working for most of us. It's leaving right. most of us success empty instead of successful. And oh, I want to like be- that. Very right? good, very good play on words. I like that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And so where that's led me to answer the second half of your question is to this beautiful place of realizing that this very, very personal journey that I started on six and a half years ago, I, you know, I, people were kind of looking at me like, she's batshit crazy. Like you don't leave that job. You don't leave that job without another job, or maybe you just don't leave that job until they kick you out. And so the fact that I willingly was like, I just felt the calling and I had no idea. I stepped into the darkness. It was absolutely the hero's journey or the heroine's journey for me. And it led me to realize that this is my calling. So my calling wasn't to go back to the corporate world or do work. It was to do work from the outside in and to really share my own story of, in your words, reinventing myself. And right. in my words, rewriting my own script of success in a way that's true to who I am, what I want, and the impact that I want to have in the world. And that's what I now share with humans, leaders, organizations, anyone who wants to rewrite their script of success. Wow. Amazing. And so are you a coach now or what do you, what do you do on a daily basis? What are the things? I do a whole variety of things. So really speaking is, is my primary jam. So I would call myself an author, a speaker, uh, a teacher. I also teach uh, a variety of places, but Modern Elder Academy down in Baja, oh, Mexico. Wow. Not a shabby place to go. No. And Chip Conley is one of my dearest friends. And so we connected and 
I now teach every March uh, a workshop called Awaken, Awaken Your Rebel and Reimagine oh, Your Success. That's yep. cute. Yeah, he so, sometimes comes on the podcast. I've had him oh, on. Oh, yay. He is, he's the best. And so, yeah, I do, I do that as that's probably my happy place and uh, my favorite place to teach. And I am also a coach, a guide, and a mentor. I work with the chief organization as a guide. I take on a few clients every year who really want to go big and rewrite their script of success. And I go on that journey with them. So yeah, it's all those things. And speaking's really lights me up. And I love being able to, you know, inspire a large, a large group of people who want to live and lead in different ways. What do you find? So you've been working, you know, you've been working one-on-one -on -one with a lot of people telling their story. What do you find people say about this transition when they're very successful? What do you think is at the core of it? Is it, I have a, I have a theory, which is that in the past, men sold their lives to the corporate world because they had to, that the old fashioned, you know, he goes to work, you stay home, you take care of the family, he's the provider, and he gives up all to provide, right? It doesn't matter if you're satisfied, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's no other alternative. You're it, you're, you know, take the paycheck, hold your nose and go home, right? <laughs> right. And I wonder, because I hear this so often, is A, we entered the workforce and never were able to remake it in the form of what women would want. It's always been a men's work workforce. Um, and we entered into it, of course, during the the world wars, um, when everybody went to, to war, women just jumped in and became men, right? They just started doing the stuff. And we were too few to ever remake it. And I wonder if we took that same attitude and never asked any questions. And we're kind of one of the first generations that has spent a long time in the workforce. We're not the first women, but we're that second wave that have really infiltrated. And it's still not made, it's not created for, for a woman's life at all, you know, in the way you're supposed to, I mean, right. I was told, hide your emotions, don't bring your emotions to work you know, suck it up, the, you know, everything that you are, that is a woman you're told not, not to do. Do you think that's at the heart of it? Or is there something else? I think it's a combination of things. Everything you just said resonates deeply with me. And I, and I hear it often. I think there are, there are a number of things that are, um, that I've experienced. So this is, you know, my point of view and through the lens of, of the many people I've been exposed to, but one of it, one of those things is this generation's old societal definite def, definition of success is definitely you know informed by the patriarchy it was created by the patriarchy and it is not a it's not a kind of success that is infused with humanity and well-being and soul right it's a kind of success that was sort of like you do what you do and you do it in this way and we haven't enough of us haven't challenged that, right? There's sort of a culture built around wearing busyness as a badge of honor and this 
this hustle and grind and all of this. And I'll be honest, like, I don't, I think not only is that not built for women to thrive, I don't believe it's built for humans to thrive. Yeah. I think a lot of men suffer and they suffer in silence. Yes. And they suffer more in silence. I mean, in I'm, I'm doing a TEDx talk in, I think like 17 days from the day that we're recording this. And one of the things, one of the stats that has blown me away is that 85% of us have experienced burnout and only 20% of us have found any sort of deep lasting meaning in our lives. We're, We're continually in search of and our work isn't fueling that. The cultures around our work aren't fueling that. And so when I say I'm on a mission to help all of us rewrite the script of success, I'm talking both individually and collectively. So there's what's at the heart of this is yeah for sure this wasn't create created for humans and especially women to thrive it's really hard to consider leaving when you have contorted yourself into a place where you're succeeding in this world which which was completely my story and now your entire identity yes that's a big issue the identity yes it's a huge issue shelly I talk a lot about that in my book because that was the number one thing for me personally. And I would say it's, it's probably the number one thing I hear identity and money are probably the number one and number two uh, reasons that we find it hard to ask these questions of ourselves, to get honest, to reveal to ourselves what we're pretending not to know, because usually we do know the answers, right? But it's hard. It's hard to get honest with ourselves and it's hard to listen to that little voice that's telling us to do something that feels so uncomfortable and so scary. And that's the only way, (laughs) that's the only way to start changing things up is to go, all right, I'm going to take baby steps and I'm going to look that fear in the eye and I'm going to get honest with myself. It doesn't mean you have to turn your whole life upside down overnight. And in fact, in my case, once I understood this nightmare, I spent a good six plus months paving the way. So this wasn't like you asked me the question, did you just Uh, wake up? Right. I really, once I understood what this nightmare was calling me to do and that I had lost touch with my soul and my truth and it was time to reconnect with it. And I say that now, but I had no idea what that meant at the time. I was like, okay, what does it look like to do this in a way that feels good to me? So I saved up some money. I worked with my financial advisor and said, I want a little cushion. Now, listen, I'm a privileged human. I was making a lot of money at the time. But I also didn't want to burn through. I'm a single woman. I was paying off debts from my divorce. I didn't want to burn through all my savings. So he helped me to create this cushion. And then I gave myself a period of time. And I said, you have this time and you have this cushion. And go and see what comes of it. And it's okay if you boomerang back into the corporate world. It's okay if you get six months into this journey and go, this just does not feel right. And you decide to course correct. And it's okay if you get to the end of 12 months and say, I think I want more time. So be flexible, right? Have a plan, 
and be flexible and know nothing is written in stone. So I think that's a really important piece. And then in that time, I just went in and started to do the really hard work of untangling my identity, understanding really who is Shelly Paxton when you strip away the sexy brands and the sexy titles and, you know, the big paychecks and all of it that I had become, um, that I totally and completely, you know, enmeshed my identity to. Yeah, isn't it amazing? I think that's a whole nother discussion we all ought to have about stepping away from that identity. I think that's Maybe I'll call on you if you wouldn't mind to be part of a roundtable, because I think that's that's what scares a lot of people. It's, you know, it's certainly scared people in my world, you know, when I have people who I worked with in my 20s who could never leave Vogue magazine. Yeah. Not because exactly. it was so great. Yes, it's great. But a lot of them, I think, wanted to leave, but they who were they day two? Yeah. Right? Exactly. Without that name, without without Vogue in front of their name, right? So that's a really terrifying thing. It's a terrifying thing. And I will say, I mean, I, I really go deep into this in the book. So if this is really zinging with, with anyone listening, my book might be a helpful read because I really believe, like, here's what, here's what I learned. Like when I stripped back to who I am and I repeated that day after day, who I am without all of these things. And I'm talking, this is work over months and years. Right. I right. started to believe it. Oh, and so interesting. I, right. I, and it took, but it took me, it was like building any other muscle. It was building a new muscle. It was stripping myself down to who am I at my core? What is my truth? What is my essence? Right. I am bold. I am brave. I am a badass, right? I am a trailblazer. <laughs> I am, I would repeat these things. I have a whole I am yeah. statement that I, I talk it. about, right? And and only through repeating it and embodying it did I start to believe it. And so I think that was really one of the foundational pieces of starting to turn the corner on rebuilding this. And then I realized my big aha, this is really what my TEDx talk is around is, authenticity is the truest form of rebellion. Mm. I had this whole idea that it's like, oh, to be a rebel, you're like pushing against all these things and it's all counterculture and it's all this. And I was like, no, actually we're all rebels when we're living our truth. Ooh, and I that was that. a wake up call for me. And so that's what I talk about is what do you, what do you, what are you rebelling for? Because that's your essence, your truth, your, what you yes. want to create, what lights you up. And so that's the whole, I've kind of gone on that whole journey from I am Harley Davidson and Harley Davidson is me all the way to, oh my gosh, Shelly Paxton is the most iconic brand I could ever I represent because it. it's my truth, right? That's so beautiful. So as Thank we're pulling you. into our, our end of moments here, Shelly, where can people find you? Yes. Uh, so the easiest place to get the whole, like, what am I all about is to go to ShellyPaxton.com and Shelly spelled with an E-Y, ShellyPaxton.com. You can also, I would love to connect with any of you on LinkedIn. I'm Shelly Paxton on Instagram. I'm at Soulbatical, the name of my book. 
Um, and sabbatical is spelled with two B's. And yeah, I saw that. I thought that I was know. my mistake. Okay. No, cool. it, you know what? It's a made up word. So people always say, why did you spell it like that? I'm like, I don't know, because I did. Because okay, I made cool. it up and that's what it looked like in my head. Good. And then Excellent. as for my book, which is called Sabbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life, you can find that anywhere you buy books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your local bookstore. And if your local bookstore doesn't have it, request to order it. I love finding my go. book in new places. So thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. Well, Shelly, you're just such a rock star. I love everything you're saying. I think so many people are going to find this extremely helpful and insightful. Thank you so much for your time. Big hug. Yeah, thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with this wonderfully inspirational woman, Shelly Paxton. I think we have hit upon so many different things that are important to all of us, which is what is your identity when you work for a big, giant, fancy-dancy brand? How do you become more of yourself? How do you incorporate that into your history and still move on if you want to? What are the things that go to the center of happiness in our work? And what makes each of us as individuals happy? That can be some very different things. So I hope you enjoyed that. If you did enjoy it, I hope you will subscribe to the podcast and please leave us a review um, you can leave it on Apple Podcasts. You can leave it um, in most of the places that you're listening to. We would love a review from you. And we would also love, if you're serious about your reinvention, come on over to CoveyClub.com. Put reinvention into the little uh, search bar and you will find everything you want about reinvention. Of course, we do more than that. We talk about all transitions for women 40 plus. And we support women in all kinds of transitions. We have all kinds of live and virtual support groups. We have a big, huge get together in November of each year on Veterans Day weekend where we meet up live and get to know each other intensely. And we all help each other through these difficult transitions in the corporate world, in friendship life, and in family. So come on over, get on our newsletter list and even if you're really serious about it and want to get to work, come join the Covey Club itself. Just go to the join page and you will see what Nest at Covey Club is all about. And until then, I will see you next time. Take care.